Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Daniel. That's where we've been for the last couple of weeks. We've still got two more weeks after this one as we cover the five different visions of Daniel and how that, what that means here in our lives. We've entitled this series called Where We Go From Here. And what I want you to understand, and we're going to talk a little, about, uh, a little bit about this as we move forward this, with this this morning, is that pra- the prophecy is incredibly practical. And uh, I believe prophecy is as practical as the tires on your car. And I, I want to unpack that for you a little bit this morning as we go through this. Because a lot of times, you know, we're, we, this big picture of end time things and Jesus coming back. And, you know, great tribulation, battle of Armageddon. Ah, you know, all these big things that seems so far and distant. What does that mean in our life Today, and I, I want you to uh, that this this portion of scripture, I, I believe God's going to reveal some things to us and help us to understand how practical God's word is for us today. So, Daniel chapter eight, and we're going to read the first fourteen verses. We're actually covering the whole chapter today, but the second part of the chapter explains what the first part of the chapter is telling you. So, uh, we'll, we'll go through that together. So, Daniel chapter eight, starting at verse one. If you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Daniel chapter eight. Starting at verse 1, Daniel chapter 8, starting at verse 1, reading from the New Living Translation. You can also follow along in the Version Bible app under the Live Events tab. You can find an event that it's tagged here to this location on Morgantown Road. And all the links, everything Pastor Rick talked about and uh, the sermon notes and the scriptures are all available for you there as well. So D- Daniel chapter 8, starting at verse 1, Daniel chapter, or D- chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Here's what the Word of the Lord says on a beautiful summer morning. It's, boy, fall time's coming. Can you feel it? I can feel it. I'm so excited. I love summer, and then I love fall. I get like a kid in the wintertime with the snow, and then springtime. I love Easter. Like, I'm just, I'm a happy person. I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry if you all are a bunch of Debbie Downers. All right, Daniel chapter 8, starting at verse 1. If your name's Debbie, no offense. Daniel chapter 8, Daniel Downers. There we go. Daniel chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Here's what the word of the Lord says. During the third year of King Belshazzar's reign. Now, I want you to understand this. This is, uh, Pastor Jason covered chapter 7 last week, and then here's the third vision Daniel is having, which is only one chapter later, but it's actually two years. Uh, so this is two years after, the second, uh, after his second vision. Here he's having a third vision, following the one he had already appeared to me. In verse 2, in this vision I had a fortress, I was at a fortress of Susa in the province of Elam, standing beside the Ulai River. As I looked up, I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had grown later than the other one. And the ram butted everything out of its way to the west, to the north, to the south, and no one could stand against him or help his victims. And he did as he pleased and became very great. Now, this already sounds a little weird, talking about a ram with one horn bigger than the other. And I mean, it's, this is kind of getting strange, all right? Uh, but uh, I'm just going to kind of cut to the chase because I like, I like to be the spoiler. I like to read the end of the book as before I get to there. And like, I want to know what's happening. No surprises for me. And so verse 20, just go ahead and tells us that this ram uh, symbolizes the Medo-Persian empire. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So this is the Medo-Persian empire that, that uh, God is giving Daniel. And so then here in verse five, while I was watching, suddenly a male goat 
appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that he didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in a rage. And the goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both its horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him, and no one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. All right. Spoiler alert, verse 21 tells us that the goat is the Greek empire, all right? And uh, this one Greek empire says there's this one big horn that kind of comes out of the Greek empire, which the, the goat had this horn sticking out between his eyes, and we know is the greatest uh, leader of the Greek empire was Alexander the Great. And he comes, and he has these huge wars, uh, wars some of the famous, most famous battles in these ancient times were between the Greeks and the Medo-Persian empire. And so the Greeks defeat the Medo-Persians, uh, and, and that, that's what this is talking about here. And then in verse uh, 8, the goat became very powerful. The Greek empire gets really big. But at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. And in the large horn's place grew very poor prominent horns pointing in the four different directions of the earth. Spoiler alert, verse 22 tells us that the, the big horn was Alexander the Great. We know that Alexander the Great dies at age 32, 33 at the height of his power from malaria or possibly typhoid. And his, the Greek empires div, divvied up into four separate empires. So those are the four different horns now, all right? So uh, from uh, in verse 9, then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east and toward the glorious land of Israel, and its power reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings from the stars to the ground and trampling them. It even challenged the commander of the heavens army by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. Then the army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion, so the daily sacrifice was halted and truth was overthrown. The horn succeeded in everything it did. Then uh, this... Spoiler alert, <laughs> I'm just telling you all this going forward because it's easier as we kind of go and we're, we'll go back and reference some of this. This is referring to a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes uh, who became one of the generals that took over one of the kingdoms that was broken off from the Greek empire and his kingdom was over what we now refer to in the land of Israel and so uh, he actually hates Judaism. He sets himself up as God and does some things. It's a foreshadow obviously of what we know as the Antichrist and this actually happens in his and so and then in verse 13, then I heard two holy ones talking to each other. And one of them asked, how long will the events of this last vision uh, last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple and heaven's army be trampled on? And the other replied, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the temple will be made right again. Daniel is so upset finding out that the nation of Israel is going to go through all this pain and the heartache, that his temple is going to be torn apart and desecrated and all these things are happening. Uh, at verse 15 and 16, uh, Gabriel shows up and starts telling him all these things. And what I've, what I've given you all the spoiler alerts, Gabriel shows up and gives him all the same things. And then at the end, in verse 27, is what I want to look at now. Verse 27 says, even though Daniel saw all this and everything that was going on, in verse 27, Daniel was so upset, I was overcome and lay sick for several days. 
But afterward, I got up and I performed my duties for the king, and I was greatly troubled by the vision, and I could not understand it. Now, I want to read verse 27 to you in just a little bit of a different version, but I believe that gets the Hebrew language here just probably a little bit more specifically better uh, for us to understand this morning. Daniel chapter 8, verse 27, the English Standard Version says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and I went about the king's business. That's awesome. Even though he knew the end, he knew what was going, I mean, he knew what was going to happen. Daniel still went to work. He went about the king's business. Even though we know how it all goes, even though we might be upset, sometimes we can't understand what we have to go through, the pain and heartache we have to go through, it doesn't mean we don't do what God has called us to do. I believe today that we are to be about the king's business. Today I want to preach a message entitled, About the King's Business. Come on, let's pray. Father, one more time, would you release the power of your written word into our lives? Lord, in the mighty name of your son, uh, your son Jesus, Lord, Lord, may distractions be gone. May faith rise in our souls. Lord, I pray that the perfect love of God would drive out every fear. And Lord, I pray we would be propelled into action to fulfill the purpose and plan in our lives that you have decided long ago. Lord, may we be found being about the king's business. In Jesus' name. Come on, and if you agree with that, say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Look, Daniel chapter 8 is full of a lot of history, and I'm going to try and cover it as quickly as I possibly can because I really want to bring this thing to a head, to a point at the very end. And I know sometimes as we look at a lot of this today, in Daniel chapter 8 in particular, this might feel like a history lesson. And now some of you, as you hear me saying this is going to feel like a history lesson, some of you are already having flashbacks to high school or junior high, you know, where you did not get along with your history teacher, and you're about for me to tell you it's time for you to go to the principal's office, Dave. You know, like, you, you, like you're, you're waiting for, for some kind of correction to come down and, you know, and, and to tell you, listen to me, I, I know sometimes that's a, that's a struggle and we feel like we might be reverting a little bit, but I want you to understand this. As we look at history through a biblical lens, we begin to see how God throughout the ages has carried out his business. He's fulfilled his plan and there's not a man, a woman, and the Satan himself that can thwart and stop the purpose of God from being accomplished here on this earth and in your life. I believe the plan and the purpose of God is unstoppable. We serve an immovable God and he will accomplish his business and it's time for his bride to be about the business of the king again so he can come back and take us home. Now, a lot of us, sometimes we also get a little hesitant because you hear, to hear me talking about history and you think, well, you know, I don't really like talking about history because I know the way I used to be. I'm not real proud of it. I don't like bringing that up. I don't like all the things that happened in, our, in my life. And a lot of times the enemy will try to use our history. Listen to me. The enemy will try and use our history to disqualify us from the plan and the purpose of God in your present and in the promise of your future. Can I tell you this today? The God who writes history is the God that's able to rewrite your history. I serve a God whose mercy, come on, he rewrote my life and I'm thankful today that regardless of whatever the lie of the enemy might be, today in the name of Jesus, I serve a God who can rewrite your history in a second. Eternity has changed because we say no to the things of this world and we say yes to the eternal things of God. 
And so in this moment, in this season, I want us to understand prophecy is, I know Pastor Jason has said, it not only proves God, but it purifies the church. It makes us ready to receive. Listen to me, prophecy is not just for our knowledge, but it's for our guidance. Because when we recognize prophetic events, it'll guide us through this earth and it is shaken. We know this today, that even now in this moment, our earth is being shaken. There is becoming a very clear division on who is with Jesus and who is against the Lord. Things are incredibly polarized right now. And can I tell you something very clearly? There is a great shaking that is about to happen to this world and what, can, what will be shaken will be shaken and it will fall away and the only thing that will last will be what is grounded in the solid eternal truth of the rock of Jesus Christ because my God is an all-consuming fire and what can be shaken will be thrown into the pit of hell forever and forever and forever. So in this moment, I want us to understand that prophecy is practical. Prophecy, listen to me, prophecy gives us an understanding of the plan and purpose of God. It gives us a foreshadow. As we look all throughout history, we can divinely see the foreshadowed events that give us a glimpse of how God will continue to carry out his business. But I want to be very cautious with this this morning and let you know that anybody can be an expert on something that hasn't happened. Think about it. Come on, rewind to March, April 2020. We've never seen anything like this before, but somehow experts popped up all over the place. Come to find out, they had no idea what they were talking about, did they? And they still don't. Listen, there's a lot of people that like to be experts about things that have never happened before. It's hard to be an expert if you've never known it and never experienced it and you don't know anything about it. So listen to me, I, I want to be cautious of this. I want to walk with this through you in humility and servanthood as, as we trust and ask God for di- clear direction and, and illumination through the Holy Spirit. But prophecy projects the king's purpose and plan. The king's, and can I say, is, is we understand this is going to carry out the king's business. Before I jump into this today, I want you to understand something. The king's business is not about busyness. Sometimes we, you know, we, I know Pastor Jason and I, we've talked about this before and that, that, you know, it used to be a proud thing, you know, when somebody would call or ask what's going on, you would say, oh, I'm busy, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And somehow we feel like we can, we're more important when we say we're busy. No, 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 Busyness, God's, the kingdom of God is not about busyness. The kingdom of God is about purpose. The kingdom of God is about fulfilling his plan and his promise in and through your life and here on this earth so that we can live in eternity with him in his presence forever. It's not just about being busy, it's about being purposeful. We're not just gonna run around and kind of try and grab everything we possibly can in a frantic hurry. But as we look at this scripture, I know, you know, we've, we've seen over these last couple visions and now into this third vision, there's these four different empires that are kind of set up. This, first of all, the Babylonian empires. We know Daniel is in Babylonian captivity. The nation of Israel is in exile because of the Babylonians. And so Daniel is working on behalf of the Babylonians. And then it gets into the Medo-Persian empire. And then it gets into the Greek empire. And then finally into the Roman empire. And, and we'll unpack some of that as, as we move forward here today. But I want you, I want you to look through this through the biblical lens of understanding that this is God showing us how he continues to fulfill his plan and purpose in our lives. Look at this in verse 3. As he looked up, I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. 
One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had grown later than the other one. And the ram butted everything out of its way to the west, to the north, and to the south. And no one could stand against him and help his victims. And he did as he pleased, and he became very great. We know that this, this ram is, verse 20, let us know already that this ram represent, represents the Mede and the Medo-Persian Empire. What is interesting enough is that as Daniel was seeing this as a picture of a ram, and Gabriel tells him that this symbolizes the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire has not come into power. In fact, it's well over 100 years before the Medo-Persian Empire even comes into power, yet God's word accurately depicts it. In fact, so much so that that Daniel sees a ram, and what's interesting enough is that whenever the Persians would go into battle on the front of their shields and they would hold up idols of rams, it was their symbol of authority that they they would ram through the enemy, that they would push through the enemy lines, and they would defeat. They were a force of the day. All throughout history, you can see that the Medes and the Persians, in particular, the Persians were labeled as the rams because here the Bible says that there was there was a horn and then another bigger horn that grew after the little horn. The little horn represents the Medes. They came up first and then the Persians came up behind them and the Persians ended up being the much stronger force and they were the, they were the heavy hand in, 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 this, in, this, in this alliance together with the Medes and so the Persians went through and the Bible says it pushed to the north, to the south, and to the west. Notice it left out the east. Why? I want you to understand something today that Persia, even in this time and even to the modern day right now, you know, the nation of Iran just changed its name from Persia. It hadn't been all that long ago. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not. But Persia, ancient Persia is modern day Iran. They just changed it. I mean, it's been just a few decades ago they changed their name from Persia to Iran. You say, well, Tim, why, why did they not have to go east? Because their allies are east, and they still are. Hello, who funds and backs and, 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 and unites with them in alliance all throughout the, it's their buddies to the east, Russia, the great bear, and they, they gather together and they're ready to go and, and, and attack the, the nation of Israel. I mean, the Iranian uh, uh, leader says that his sole purpose on planet earth is to wipe the nation of Israel off the planet. I mean, the, 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 this, the scripture so accurately describes what was going to happen, and then it happens, and then it even gives us a foreshadow of even the further end times that would be coming. And then it says in verse, in verse 5, that while I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that he didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed towards the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in a range. In a rage. And the goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both of his horns. And now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. And no one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. I know it sounds kind of weird. And I, I, it's hard for me to even really comprehend this that Daniel had such like a, he had this incredible imagination. It wasn't even so much his imagination as it was that it could, the creativity of the Holy Spirit revealing these things to him. But I want you to understand this. Daniel wasn't able to like, he just went and, 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 and saw like, you know, our modern technology and even in, in our modern movies and plays and shows. I mean, for me, I'm looking at this. I can immediately start thinking this because I immediately equate it to like the bat, one of the battle scenes in the Lord of the Rings with these weird animals and horns and they're, you know, and they're going after each other. Like, I, I can figure that out. I can see that. 
You know, but Daniel had to come up with this all on his own as the Holy Spirit is revealing this to him. And, and I, I want you to get this. And, and the, the, the empire of Persia uh, had, had conquered the, all the different directions. And even the first king of Persia, Cyrus the Great, was prophesied by name in the book of Isaiah. And we're told that he would, what he would accomplish even 150 years before his birth in Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45. Then Persia's fourth king, Xerxes I, whose queen, as we know, and, uh, and, and we'll talk about in Daniel chapter 11 later on next week, or two weeks from now, but it, it is revealed in the Bible, was Esther. And then in verse five, this goat shows up, and the Bible says that this goat, in verse five, that this goat takes over so fast, and he moves so fast, his feet doesn't even touch the ground. Now, this is kind of weird that a goat can beat up a ram, right? But it's because the goat's so swift and moves so fast since this goat moves so fast, can I tell you? And we know, it's like, you know, I've already let the cat out of the bag here. Actually, let the goat out of the bag. Uh, but, sorry, that was a bad joke. Sorry. You're gonna have to put up with it. You're the last service, and you're getting it. I'm just telling you right now, all the stuff I didn't wanna say, I'm gonna say in this service, all right? Go for it. <laughs> you don't know what you're getting into. All right. So, you know, this goat takes over, and it says that, 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 that this goat represents the Greek empire, right? The Greek empire that moves so quickly, takes over so fast. Did you know that Alexander the Great conquered the modern world in under 13 years? He covered over 3,000 miles in under 13 years. And some of the greatest battles, some of the greatest wars in ancient times were between the Greeks and the Medo-Persian Empire. And we know that the Greeks ultimately defeat the Medo-Persian Empire. And that's why the goat overtakes the ram. And then all of a sudden the Bible here says that, 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 that this ram, uh, or that this goat, a great conqueror in 13 short years as he amassed the largest empire in the ancient world, the empire covered 3,000 miles. But what I want you to understand that he did this without the benefit of modern technology, without weaponry, without his, without his uh, modern day troop movements uh, where essentially they were all on foot. His communications were all face to face and he covered over 3,000 miles and 13 years. Now I want you to understand something. God, even though all this was going on and it seemed like Alexander the Great was in complete control, listen to me, God used Alexander the Great through spreading a common language that made sharing the gospel easier. When they covered the known world, they also covered their own culture and spread their culture all throughout, the, all throughout the ancient times, all throughout the known world at that time. And everyone had to learn Greek. Now I want you to fast forward a little bit. Think about what happens if you fast forward to the book of Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost when Peter goes out and begins to preach his first sermon and he goes out and he, he mentions all these different nationalities that are represented in the city of Jerusalem and he's able to address all of them at one time. Why? Because he speaks Greek and they all have learned Greek at this point because Greece had been spread all throughout the ancient world. It's like what we have now in our modern world that English is the language of commerce. If you go to any airport in the world, there's going to be a desk agent that's able to speak English and help you out. In any other, any other country in the world, even if their English isn't the primary language, they learn English because they know if they can learn English, they, that, that way they, they're, they're able to make way more money if they, didn't able, if they weren't able to speak English. And now that they can speak English, they make way more money and they're able to provide for their family. And so it was here in this, in this culture that if you knew Greek, you could, you could make way more money and spread around and have way 
way more influence. Listen to me today. God was making it easier for the gospel to be projected into the entire world. You say, Tim, what am I saying? This is what I'm telling you. Regardless of what man may think is in control, whoever you think is the most powerful, whoever you think has it all figured out, I'm telling you right now, God can use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and he continues to carry out his plan and his purpose all throughout the ages, sometimes even despite us, but sometimes through us, because I'm thankful I serve an almighty sovereign God. God used Alexander the Great, and we know here in verse 8, it says that the big horn is broken off. Alexander the Great dies at a very early age, about 32, 33 years old. He dies of what is maybe known as malaria or typhoid in the day, and his, the Greek empire, this huge empire, is broken off into four different categories now, four different areas, and four different generals take over those four different areas. One of those areas, and one of the generals that takes, ends up taking over, his name is Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes takes over the area that, that, that covered what we know as modern-day Israel, this, the area of modern-day Israel, and Antiochus Epiphanes takes over that area. He hated the Jewish people. In fact, he is, he is considered to have killed over 100,000 Jews in his, in his reign. Antiochus Epiphanes, which is kind of funny about that we're calling him Antiochus Epiphanes, he actually gave himself the title Epiphanes. You know? If you don't know what epiphanies mean, have you ever heard somebody say, I had an epiphany, right? It's like, it's a divine, glorious thought. It means illustrious, God. So when he named himself Antiochus Epiphanes, he's saying, I'm Antiochus, the illustrious God. Are you kidding me? I mean, what a joke. In fact, so much so that in this time, they like to have puns. And so behind his back, they, didn't, they wouldn't call him Antiochus Epiphanes. They'd call him Antiochus Epimones, which means, Epimones means madman. <laughs> and in verse, verse 10, it begins to say, his power reached to the heavens, Antiochus Epiphanes, his power reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. It even challenged the commander of the heaven's armies by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying the temple. And the army of heaven was restrained from responding to the rebellion. So the daily sacrifice was halted and the truth was overthrown. And the horn succeeded in everything it did. This is why Daniel, in verse 27, he says he's so sick. He laid in bed for days and he was, he was appalled. Because he can't believe that God would allow this to happen, this desecration to happen in the temple. He can't believe that God would allow this to happen. How many of you have ever been in that moment before in your life where you've almost been appalled? You're like, God, why would you let this happen to my family? Why would you let this happen to this community? Why would you let this happen to this little one? Why would you let this happen? And sometimes we ask all these big questions and we get so appalled and we get so overwhelmed with it. I want to remind you again to let you know, despite what we see, despite what we perceive with with our own eyes, I serve a God who is sovereign and able to carry out his business, his plan and his purpose despite this temporary circumstance I would surmise the eternal glory of God doesn't even come close it's so much bigger than the present pain we have to put up with and here Antiochus Epiphanes, the Bible here says that the temple would be desecrated, that he would go against them, in fact you can later on in time in December of 168 B.C. He returned to Jerusalem in defeat from Alexandria. And he ordered his generals to seize the temple and seize the Jerusalem on a Sabbath day. 
and he took an idol of Zeus, a large idol of Zeus, and set it up in the center of the temple of God, and he went and got a pig, and he, he sacrificed a pig upon the altar of God. Now, if you know anything about Judaism, you know that pigs are considered incredibly unclean animals, that the, anything touches, it becomes unclean, and you're desecrated, and you can't even go into church. You can't, you've got to go through this whole process of being cleansed, and, and they, they consider pigs to be completely unclean animals. In fact, Antiochus Epiphanes ordered his generals to have soldiers go and get the blood of pigs and the entrails and everything and throw it all over inside the temple. And it desecrated the temple. So much so that the Jewish people refused to worship in the temple because they decided it was a desecrated place, that they could no longer perform their sacrifices in the temple of of the Lord. Now, there's these two kind of angelic beings, these two holy ones, verse 13 says, these two holy ones come together and they start talking to one another. How long will these events, uh, these visions last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple and the heaven's armies be trampled on? And the other holy being says, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the temple will be made right again. Okay. Now, I I wanna kind of take a break from a regular scheduled program and just kind of say this. Again, I wanna remind you, anybody can be an expert on something that hasn't yet happened, right? And then you hear, oh, this is gonna last for 2,300 days or 2,300 morning and evenings. And then people start having these large arguments because they wanna try and figure this out. When's Jesus coming back? When's the end times gonna happen? How does it, what's the trigger? How do we, how does this all figured out? And there's people that believe that, that, you know, these 2,300 morning and evenings, so that means it was actually only 1,150 days or sometimes they just say it's all one day, so it's 2,300 days or then other people believed. In fact, there was this guy named William Miller in the 19th century that he thought that that one day meant a year. He, for whatever reason, he came up and decided one day meant a year. You know, scripture says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So he came up with this somehow that one day meant a year. And as he started doing his calculations and started looking down through and tried to figure it all out, he decided that after Cyrus issued a decree for the temple to be rebuilt, it was 2,300 years later and that equated to the year 1844. So William Miller went around and started telling everybody that Jesus was coming back in the year 1844. And people believed him because it was popular. It was a new thing. Look at that. It's trendy. It's new. Woo! It's what we do now. You're laughing, but it's what we do now. Whatever preacher is the most popular, whatever church has the most people, uh, whatever church, uh, whatever pastor will let you come and do whatever you want to do and that let you be in charge. That way it feels good about yourself and has nothing to do with God, but it's all about you and it becomes everything. And we, and we just follow what is ever popular and makes us feel good. We go to whatever our itching ears want to hear. Sound familiar? And that's what they did. They thought, oh, this is great. This is, they, sold all, they sold all their possessions. They went up to as high of the mountains and hills that they could possibly climb and waited and waited for Jesus to return in the year 1844. And guess what? Did not happen. It didn't happen. In fact, when you go back through church history, this has actually been labeled as the great disappointment. That's what church theologians and church scholars, they call this the great disappointment. In fact, so many people were so upset and they tried to fix all this, there was actually what was known as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society that grew out of this. 
because they were trying to fix this because they were one of the main believers of this. If you don't know who that is, that's today's modern day Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm going to name names. I ain't scared. I'll tell you what's true and what's wrong and what's up, what's down, what I know what God's word says. Listen, let's make sure we're not founded on some kind of weird theories of man. See, I want you to understand, God's word is 100% accurate. The problem is, is whenever we try to add too much of our commentary into it, and we try and tell you what we think God's word says, how about I just tell you what God's word says? Or how about this, you can find out for yourself and read it. Too many of us, we rely on too many other people to find out what God's word says. You need to study to show yourself approved, a workman that can rightly divide the word of truth. Don't get caught up in modern day falsehoods and false prophets telling you how this is all gonna go down and what you need to do and pack all this up and do all this and blah, blah, blah. Give me a break. Listen to me, Antiochus Epiphanes, we know this. This, this is obviously a clear foreshadow of the, of the, of the, abom- the desecration of abomination where, where, where this, he would go in and set himself up in, in the temple. Remember Antiochus Epiphanes, illustrious God. He set, him, set himself up in the temple as, as God. This is exactly what the Antichrist is gonna do in the end times. Pastor Jason talked to you a little bit about this last week, but I don't, so I don't want to linger here too long. But can I just tell you, some people are like, oh, you know, we, well, let's figure this out. Let's go back through scripture. Let's study out who is the Antichrist going to be? Listen to me. First John chapter four tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist has been loose on the earth for thousands of years. For thousands of years, he's been here. For thousands of years, the spirit has been loose. The only thing that is keeping the spirit of the Antichrist from t- taking form in the, in, in the body of a man, listen to me, is the retainer that is holding it back is what Thessalonians tells us, and that retainer that is holding it back is the power of the Holy Spirit that I remind you that we are the embodiment. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit of God, and once we leave, there will be nothing to stop the Antichrist from taking control the world because the truth will be taken out of here when the spirit of truth leaves with us and they're going to have all kinds of questions and nobody's going to be able to give them the answer and here he comes it's going to be easy for him to take over he won't have to do anything it's much like Antiochus Epiphanes he didn't conquer the world Alexander the Great did for him he just took over that's exactly what's going to happen. The Antichrist is going to take over. This is what we call the rapture of the church, and we're getting out of here. First, and Thessalonians says that those uh, that have died and, and, and the previously in the faith, they'll be come down and they'll get the resurrected bodies. I don't know. I kind of like to be in an, I'd like, oh, I want to be in a graveyard. You're really bad when that happens. Just for a second, how cool would that be? Some of y'all looking at me like I'm weird, but think about that for a moment. I mean, like graves busting. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that all works, but I kind of want to see it. And the Bible says those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture. You'll never find the word rapture in church or in, in the Bible anywhere. It's from the Greek word raptuzo. This is translated in almost every translation is caught up. That's what that rapture means, caught up. We are caught up to meet them in the air. Say, Tim, why do, you, why do you not care who the Antichrist is? Because I ain't gonna be here when he shows up. You wanna stick around, go right on ahead, but I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. The first bus, I'm gone, honey. You understand? Like, I am, I'm getting on. I ain't waiting around. I'm, make, I'm getting there. 
I'm not, I'm not messing around. See, so many of us, we, we all want to come up with these big, long, elaborate theories and figure out who the Antichrist is. Can I tell you? Listen, we don't know when it's going to happen. Even Jesus himself said he doesn't even know when he's coming back. Oh, God knows everything. Listen. Jesus said it himself. Matthew chapter 24. It's not on the screen. You'll just have to listen. Matthew 24 verse 36 says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. This is Jesus talking. Nor does the Son of Man but only the Father. Jesus himself doesn't know when the Father is going to say, hey, son, go get him. Go get him. Jesus goes on to say, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up till the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two, men, two will be grinding with a hand mill, and the, one will be taken, the other will be left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let this house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Billy Graham said it this way. In the 1980s, they were interviewing Billy Graham, who's been you know, a, a huge model, role model for me as, you know, as an evangelist and in his ministry and in his purity and in the fruit of his life and his family and how, how he's lived his life. And, and you know, he passed away a few years ago. But this TV interviewer in the 1980s asked Billy Graham, he said, listen, uh, Reverend Graham, if you knew Jesus was coming back for you tonight, what would you be doing right now? Billy Graham simply said, I hope I'd be sitting here talking to you. You want to know why? Because he was about the king's business. He was about the king's business. Many of us, if that brought fear into your life, thinking if Jesus is coming back tonight and you got to go scramble and do stuff, you're not about the king's business. But if faith rises in your soul and you say like even Paul, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That means you've been about the king's business. I don't care who the Antichrist is. I don't give a rip. I just don't. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not gonna be here. I'm not gonna be here. Listen, so it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, so it would be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What was it in the days of Noah? There was incredible lawlessness that were happening. You talked about that last week. There was, a, I mean, just, just awful desecration, men giving over to men, women being given to women, all kinds of nastiness and uh, truth being called false and false being called truth, good being called bad, and bad being called good, what is right being called wrong, and what is wrong being called right. I mean, there was so much uh, turmoil and sin and depravity in the world. God wanted to reset the world. And so he, was, he told Noah to build an ark. And Noah was about the king's business for hundreds of years. Listen, it hadn't rained. And Noah starts building an ark before the rain ever came. He was ready. He was about the king's business. It made no sense. And as Noah went about the king's business, the Bible says that once everything happened, all the animals were in, Noah and his family was in, the Bible says that the hand of God himself closed the door of the ark. Not one drop of rain fell on the bald head of Noah. Not one drop. You know what that tells me? Listen to me. Jesus is not coming back for a bruised and bloody church. 
There's some people that are out there that'll tell you that we don't leave until in the middle of the tribulation or you got to go through the great tribulation and all that stuff. Listen to me. So it will be in the days of Noah. So it will be in the coming of the days of the Son of Man. If he, if he took Noah and his family in the ark of safety, listen to me. That's what's going to happen with us. He's going to close that door. He's going to rapture us out of here. He's not coming back for a bruised and bloody bride, but he's coming back for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle, that has been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and we will enjoy the marriage of the supper of the Lamb with Jesus in heaven, and we'll rejoice with him and have a wonderful time until he comes back down here and resets the world again. All these things will happen. God's word is 100% true. We know the temple in this time, after Antiochus Epiphanes, the temple was already cleansed before Jesus even shows up on the crowd. The temple was already re-cleansed and taken care of. And, and, and just to let you know, in John chapter 10, verse 22, the Bible says Jesus went to the temple and attended the Feast of Dedication. Now that's weird. Because I know the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Tabernacles. I know all those. What in the world is the Feast of Dedication? Well, that's what we know as modern day in our terms as Hanukkah. It's the celebration of the cleansing of the temple after Antiochus Epiphanes. And Jesus goes and he celebrates the Feast of Dedication. He celebrates Hanukkah there with them. Daniel's so upset that the people of Israel have to go through this process. In verse 27, he's so sick and he's so upset. See, Gabriel tells him in verse 26, he says, listen, I need you to kind of keep this, keep this to yourself for a moment because this is about future times. This is about future times, so don't let this one out to let everybody know just yet because they they're not going to understand it. You're going to need to not let this out. What is interesting, Daniel chapter 1 through Daniel chapter 7 is written in Aramaic which was the language of the Babylonian Empire, who they were under captivity. Daniel chapter 8 through the end of Daniel chapter 12 is written in Hebrew. And only Jews knew how to read and write Hebrew because it, it was against the law. So Daniel was like, mm. Gabriel said, keep this to yourself. And Daniel was so upset in verse 27. Daniel said, I was so overcome and I laid sick for some days, but then I rose and went about the king's business. What's the king's business? What's the king's business? This is simple. And the evangelist in me screaming right now. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. To seek and to save the lost. Say, Tim, what am I telling you? Here's what I, I asked you this a few weeks ago, and so I'm going to ask you this again today. When was the last time you were a part of the process, a part of the king's business of having someone come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Whether you invited them to church, whether you made them a meal, whether you prayed the sinner's prayer with them yourself, whether you just loved on them, whether you just let them know they mattered to God. When was the last time you were a part of the process of seeking and saving the lost? I know we can't be a part of the saving process, but we can do a lot of the seeking. That's the king's business. Secondly, it's to sit and serve. That sounds familiar. John chapter 13. Jesus, the night before he's about to be crucified, the light before everything's about to go down, what does Jesus want to do? He wants to sit down at a table with his friends and his family, the, the ones that mattered the most to him. And he brings them up nearby and he wraps a towel around his waist and he, he washes their feet. He serves them. He sits with them and he serves them. This is how we say this at Faith Assembly. Sit one and serve one. This is why we have this. This was one of the main reasons why we went to three morning services. 
We have plenty of space. Hello. The reason we went to three services is to give you an opportunity to sit in a service and worship without having any obligations. And then secondly, to allow you to serve in a service on the same morning. That's being about the king's business. I know there's plenty other areas you can go and serve and do a lot of other things that are out there. But the reality is the end of the king's business is to shape us and set us up, to shape us to become more like him. Ephesians says, listen to me, Ephesians says that Jesus didn't, when he left heaven and came to earth, he came to serve us, that we are to imitate him and to become more like him, that he didn't consider his Godship something to be grasped, but he surrendered his life for us on the cross. That's why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We are to surrender our lives for the glory of God, that we are to give him our time and our resources, our efforts, even our inabilities and our shortcomings that we surrender to God and that's how he shapes us and we become more like him because Matthew 16, 18 says, this is how he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it when we declare that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. How do we declare Jesus is the Christ? Whenever we surrender our life to him saying, you're God and I'm not. I'm not Tim Epiphanies. I'm asking you today, are you a part of the seek and save? Are you a part of the sit and serve? And are you being shaped and set up building his kingdom? Let's be about his business. Now remember I told you prophecy is as practical as the tires on your car. So I'm going to get real practical for you right now. There are over 200, just about 250 people, 245 to be exact people that are signed up to serve in our church. That's a huge number. That's an awesome number. And I'm thankful for that. Many of you serve and give your time. Some of us have to do it too often, by the way. And it's not because you have to. It's because you want to. And that's one of the greatest things I love about y'all. Yins. We're closer. Let's get, I'll go Yins. Y'all's about 10 miles that way. Two hundred forty-five people serve. There's about 12 different serve teams that it takes to make a Sunday morning happen. Any given Sunday morning, it takes around 70 people to have all three services roll. That's awesome. And I'm not here begging. I'm not, we don't need volunteers. As a matter of fact, I don't want volunteers and I do not want you to volunteer. Volunteer is like, you know, you're doing somebody a favor. You're not doing anybody a favor. We're here to serve. We're here to serve. We're here to serve. 245 people. The only thing about that is, is that our average attendance just this year in 2022 is 555 people a week between the three services. 245 serve. I'm not here to browbeat you. I'm not here to make you feel bad about yourself. I'm just saying there's a huge opportunity for you to serve. This is how we grow. You want to know where we go from here? We grow from here. We grow from here. We grow here. Now, listen, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for another building. I'm waiting for all that stuff to happen. But guess what? It hasn't happened yet. And listen, 
I, I know the end of the story. I know what God's promised us. I know where we need to go. God gave Daniel the same thing. God told Daniel, this is where you're going to go. This is what you have to do. But you know what Daniel did? Daniel went about the business of God. He went about the king's business. I'm waiting for all that to happen, but as long as I'm here, I'm going to be about the king's business. It's time for us to grow. How do you grow? You grow by serving. That's how your roots grow down and grow deep, and you become stronger and more faithful in the Lord. You want to know why you continue to deal with the same problem, the same habit, the same thing over and over and over again in your life? Because if you continually do what you do all the time, you'll always be where you've always been. It's time for us to shake it up a little bit. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better, Lord. So I'm asking you today, will you serve? Will you serve? I'm not begging. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. But here's the deal. If you're not serving, what are you doing? I would rather create space than consume space. You wanna know why I wanna create space? Because I still have friends and family members that need to know the Lord and I don't wanna be in the way. I wanna help make a way. You're in the way when you consume it. You help make a way when you create it. You create space by serving. Let's make room. You create space by opening the door. You create space by going and picking somebody up. You create space by making sure we're safe in here. There's transportation. Listen to me. What a huge ministry that is to go be able to get people that can't get here on their own. What a huge ministry that is. What about the parking team? Do you know this is, con- this is confirmed over and over and over and over and over again? There's all kinds of studies that are out that a new person, a person that shows up to this property for the very first time on a Sunday morning, they decide whether or not they're coming back within the first seven seconds of them coming onto the property. Like from Morgantown Road down, seven seconds starts. All seven seconds happen in our parking lot. How vital is the parking team? Greeters, letting somebody know they matter. They open up the door. That's the ministry of hospitality. Paul talks about that. Ushers, making sure we're safe and everything's taken care of and orderly inside the sanctuary. There's the security team. Man, what, how hugely important that is right now in our day and age. If you don't know, you've got to know this. My mercy, there's all kinds of wackos and nut jobs out there that the best thing they'd love to do is to come in here on a Sunday morning and disrupt and wreak some havoc and cause some problems in my life and in your life. I'm thankful for our security team that's at every door and watching over our kids right now on a Sunday morning. I'm thoroughly thankful for our security team. There's the creative department, the, the audio and the visual, the lighting. All this doesn't just happen. See, why does it matter? Because it's awful hard to hear the message. They don't create the message, they help make it clear so that everyone can hear the message of Jesus Christ, that we all can engage together, that it's palatable enough for each and every one of us to engage in what level you're in or wherever you're coming and what your walk of life, that we all can join in together. I believe that's what heaven's gonna look like. I know it may not have lights and smoke and all the different things that's going on, but there's gonna be people from all different walks of life and we're all gonna join together and lift up one voice and glorify God. And our audiovisual lighting team, they help make that happen every service we have. There's the people on Sunday mornings that need the cameras run. How about the worship team? I love this. So many of these guys are fairly new to our worship team. I love that. I mean, it was 
Liz, you are anointed. I, by the way, she was, she was the knife at Beauty and the Beast over at the State Theater just a week or so ago. But I'm so thankful you and Bob are here. I love your family. My wife and I, we, we sit there. We are so thankful that you're a part of the family here at Faith. You both have a unique anointing on your life. I'm so thankful. You fit in here. You make us better. And I'm so thankful for that. We have an incredible group of people. But listen, some of you can sing. Some of you can play instruments. Mashawn would love to meet you and see if you're a good fit. If you have a talent and ability and you're not using it for the glory of God, shame on you. Why did God give that to you in the first place? Remember that whole joke I used to have where you couldn't fire me anymore? There's the cafe downstairs. It creates an opportunity for people to connect, to grow together, to love on one another, fellowship. There's faith kids. Oh my goodness, faith kids. Come on, faith kids. One of my favorite teams. Faith kids. That you think a mom and dad need to have a break and be able to worship with, without wondering what's going on with their kids and if their kids are safe and taken care of regardless if they're newborns all the way up through elementary age. We have something for every child in this house. What an awesome opportunity that is. And then there's faith youth. Come on. Generation X, the ones that are this close to taking over and to moving. Listen to me. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you study church history, every great revival started with a group of teenagers. Every one of them. They all started with young people. Every one of them. Tell me it's not important for us to mentor Generation Next and to teach them the ways of the Lord because they are in the world. There's so much out there, so much noise and so much garbage being trammed down their throat. They need someone to help them be able to walk with them and be a mentor and love on them. Not tell them how bad they are, but tell them how good God is in their life. That's as practical as I could get. I just gave you 10 different opportunities you can sign up for today. You don't have to wait. In fact, I've got some friends that are going to come. They got lanyards around their neck. If you guys want to come and stand up here for a moment. Where do we go from here? We grow from here. I'm going to invite you, if you are not a part of a serve team, this is your moment to become a part of a serve team. This is it, right here and right now. When, and in just a moment, I'll ask you to come. And when you come, I want you to, if you have a phone, you can bring your phone with you, all right? Because they have lanyards around their neck. Thanks, Pastor Rick. By the way, I love Pastor Rick. I don't know if you know this or not, but Pastor Rick organizes all of our Sunday morning serve teams. He makes sure they have everything they need. How awesome is that? I know you were just ordained this past May, but the call of God's been on your life a long time ago. It was just, it was just a man way of confirming it. You've been, you've been called of God long before they got a, gave you a piece of paper. But around their necks is this QR code. Just bring your phone up. You'll be able to scan it. They would love to chat with you. They have questions they can ask you if you're not sure what surf team maybe fits best for you. They got some answers for you. Maybe suggest a few things. This is a trial run. This isn't like one way in, one way out, you know? But if you've never served, if you've not served, and you need to, you want to sign up for a surf team, this is your moment right now. Come on, can everybody stand to your feet with me this morning?
I'm gonna, this is as practical as I could get. We've watched people in every service come and join to be about the king's business. I know how the end happens, but I want to be a part of the process of getting us there. But I want to pray for you. Listen to me. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, this is where you start right now. This is our moment. Before we go any further, the Bible says we believe in our heart, but we also confess with our mouth unto the salvation of God, which means you don't have to pray this prayer word for word, but somehow you need to mean it, and somehow you need to declare it out loud. I want to invite everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me. I promise you this prayer will not damage a soul. If you're not ready for the return of Jesus, this is your moment to get ready right now. It can happen in a second. In a second. I don't know who you, I'm sorry. I'm Tim. What's your name? Krista? Can I, you know, sometimes life is overwhelming, you know? But I want you to know God is walking with you. It's not an accident that you're here, that you have enough. Listen, you have what it takes. You're not far and distant from God. In fact, He's our ever-present help in time of need. When you're in moments like this, you're closer to God than when you ever were before. Krista, right? Is that all right if I just pray pray with you right now? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for Krista. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in her life. Lord, in this moment, I pray she would know the goodness of God. Lord, may may your favor be upon her life. God, you're going to supply each and every need. You're going to work out every moment. Lord, those moments of confusion, the moments of misunderstanding, Lord, the things that seem to happen so quickly and spin out of control, Lord, nothing shook you by surprise. God, you've been walking with us every step of the way. Lord, I pray today I speak peace over her life. I speak peace in the name of Jesus. May the glory of God be revealed in her life today. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, have your way. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. It's so nice to meet you, dear. My friend wants to, she's going to pray with you. Chrisanne, if you want to, this is my friend. She's just going to pray with you, chat with you. Listen to me. This morning, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me right now. All across the room. Come on, the Bible says we believe in our heart and we also confess with our mouth under the salvation of God. So, listen, the person beside you might need to hear you praying with them. That's what I'm telling you. Come on, all across this place, say, Jesus... I admit that I need you. I believe that you're God. And I confess you as the Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that heaven is now my home. From this day on, I will trust the Lord. In Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said.